0: From Washington, VOA presents
1: Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are Christian Science Monitor Washington Bureau Chief Linda Feldman and VOA Executive Producer Steve Reddish. Welcome, Linda and Steve. Hi there. Hi. Here are the issues. Vice President Kamala Harris called on countries to stand up for territorial integrity and freedom of navigation in the busy South China Sea. Harris visited the Philippine Islands to show U.S. support and cited the profound stakes for America and the international community. The International Atomic Energy Agency said it planned to carry out inspections at Ukraine's Zaporizhia nuclear power plant after two days of shelling in the area renewed concerns about the potential disaster at the site. The Russian missile strikes have crippled almost half of Ukraine's energy system, and authorities in the capital warned that the city could face a complete shutdown of the power grid as winter sets in. Here in the U.S., the man suspected of killing five people and wounding 17 others at a Colorado Springs, Colorado LGBTQ nightclub will face multiple murder and hate crime charges. And six people were killed in a Walmart in Virginia. Police say the shooter was an employee. In the nation's capital, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed special counsel Jack Smith to head up investigations involving former President Donald Trump Smith's appointment came three days after Trump launched his third run for the White House. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who was stepping down and ceding to a new, younger generation of Democrats, leaves a legacy of being the first woman to be elected to the position. She occupied a particularly high-profile position during some of the most pivotal and often volatile moments in recent American political history. Those are the issues, and let's get started. U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris visited the Philippines as a show of support for the region where navigation in the South China Sea is challenged by China. Linda, how significant was this visit for the VP?
2: Well, it was significant for her just looking at this first in domestic terms. She is obviously next in line to the presidency, and part of her immersion into higher office has involved Putting her out on the world stage, learning the issues, being visible, meeting with world leaders, defending U.S. interests. And of course, the subtext is that if she were to suddenly become president, that she's prepared to take over that role as commander in chief. Obviously, this trip involved China. It was a show of commitment to fighting China's reach globally and expanding reach. And the South China Sea is a major flashpoint for that. And so this was a significant show for Vice President Harris to be doing that.
0: To go further on what Linda pointed out, as far as putting her in positions of authority, of being able to deal with world problems, is something that Joe Biden was tasked with at some points when he was vice president. Biden had just done a kind of a round-the-world trip That started in Sharm el-Sheikh with the COP27 conference and then went to the G20 and the ASEAN conference and then the G20 summit. Harris was tapped to be the U.S. representative at the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit, the APEC summit in Thailand. At that summit in Bangkok, she met with Chinese leader Xi Jinping and spoke with him and discussed various different issues that are on the U.S.-China relationship. This is just more of trying to solidify the U.S. commitment to the South China Sea region and Southeast Asia in general. The U.S.-Philippines relationship goes back to the late 1800s. The Philippines was a staunch ally of the United States. The U.S. even had naval and air bases in the Philippines, almost a 60-year defense treaty where Each will back the other if attacked. When Rodrigo Duterte won the presidency in 2016, that relationship between the U.S. and the Philippines kind of soured, and Duterte turned toward China, looking toward China to be the Philippines' defender and working with China. Now with a new president, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., the U.S. is trying to rebuild its relationship with the Philippines, which is why Harris stopped there and made it a point to talk to Marcos. She also stopped at the Palawan Island chain in the South China Sea, which is really near the disputed islands that China claims in the South China Sea. And the U.S. is trying to keep navigation open in the South China Sea, push back on China's presence there. That was the main reason for her stopping there, both at the Palawan Islands and in the Philippines, where the Philippines lie. They're the closest U.S. ally to Taiwan geographically. So it's very important for the U.S. to have presence and have some sort of relationship with the various different nations in that area.
1: Moving over to Ukraine, officials are working to restore power nationwide after some of the heaviest bombardment of Ukrainian civilian infrastructure in the war so far. The United Nations says Ukraine's electricity and water shortages threaten a humanitarian disaster this winter. So how is the international community
2: responding
1: to this crisis?
2: Well, the international community is firm in its support for Ukraine, despite some of the politicking going on in this country. Some Republicans and even some Democrats are saying, Why are we spending so much money in Ukraine when there's so much need at home? But the international coalition against the Russian invasion is still very, very strong. As a matter of fact, I was. Talking to the Ukrainian ambassador to the U.S., Oksana Markarova, a couple of nights ago at a reception, and I pointed out to her that we understand that fully half of their power grid has been damaged or destroyed. Hunger is a real possibility this winter. And she said, yes, if we can make it through this winter, we can make it through anything. Which, A, shows the resolve of the Ukrainian people. But also just shows just how dire the situation is. And any Americans who think we can just abandon that part of the world, frankly, don't understand geopolitics and why it's in American national interest to keep supporting Ukraine and prevent Russia from recovering from what so far has been a disaster for Russia as well as Ukraine.
0: This shelling of Ukrainian infrastructure targets by Russia is setting Ukraine up for its worst winter since World War II. The Kiev mayor suggested that energy rationing is likely through the winter, and he said that his main objective is keeping the 3 million people who are still living in Kiev so that they're safe and warm and fed. And that's going to be a real challenge as Russia kind of is able to sit back and just keep shelling the various different infrastructure targets. They hit a hospital and reportedly a newborn was killed by the blast in the maternity ward. The European Parliament voted, although it's non-binding, a resolution designated Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism. There's been a lot of pressure Put on the United States to do the same. There are many who want that to happen as equal many do not want that to happen because that will create a chilling effect on any kind of possible talks to bring the war to an end and drag on some other areas of cooperation the U.S. and other countries have with Russia. So this winter is going to be one that is going to kind of tell the tale of where this war goes. Can Russia continue to bombard Ukraine the way it is? Can Ukraine survive the almost daily bombardment and be able to keep warm and keep fed? This is where the war is going to be won or lost this winter.
1: In his report, the International Atomic Energy Agency Director General, Rafael Grassi, detailed several events that have significantly compromised the plant's what they call seven pillars. How serious is this situation with a possible nuclear accident at Europe's largest nuclear power plant?
0: it could be devastating it's as you've said the biggest nuclear power plant in europe so far the iaea says it's been safe there's been no radiation leak that the core is safe but that doesn't carry on a day-to-day basis having the iaea inspectors being able to go in and determine what's going on is going to be almost a weekly routine if russia is allowed to keep up these attacks
2: I think it's important to point out that to many analysts, Putin has already lost this war. It's just a question of what's the end game here. His partial mobilization, which provoked panic and resentment among his own people, frankly, among some of his most productive citizens, was just quite shocking. But as long as Putin keeps giving gifts and other benefits to his close allies, people like Defense Secretary Sho- Shoigu, his spy chief, Narishkin, as long as he keeps those people happy, they're not going to turn on him. So if you look at the larger strategic picture on where this is all going, it's hard to see Putin surviving. But at the same time, it's hard to see him not surviving unless he literally dies.
0: And there is a lot of concern in the U.S. and among other Western leaders if Putin goes, who's next? And where will that person be on the scale of Putin? Will that be more to the detriment? Or will it be a little bit more conciliatory? There is a lot of concern about if Putin goes, what comes next?
1: Some really good points there that you all have brought up. But we're going to move on now. It's time for a quick break. And when we return, residents of Colorado Springs, Colorado, mourn the loss of five lives and a haven for the LGBTQ community. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com slash issues. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype, Christian Science Monitor Washington Bureau Chief Linda Feldman and VOA Executive Producer Steve Reddish. Well, here in the U.S., another mass shooting has taken the lives of five people and injured 17 others. This shooting brings to memory when 49 people at a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida, were killed. How are lawmakers reacting to this latest shooting in the LGBTQ community?
0: The reaction so far has been as expected. What usually happens after a mass shooting here in the United States, there are calls for tighter gun laws, questions about why there are so many guns in the country by those on the left. And those on the right who support gun rights are saying it's too soon to talk about tightening gun laws. In fact, we just tightened gun laws back in June after a mass shooting at an elementary school. So gun laws have already been tightened, so to speak, here in the United States. Those on the left are saying it doesn't go far enough. Joe Biden is calling for an assault weapons ban. The United States used to have a ban on selling assault weapons to private citizens back in the 90s, and that expired and was not renewed. And so Biden is calling for another assault weapon ban. The gunman in this shooting used an assault weapon, as many have in past mass shootings. So the United States is back in this cycle of the left calling for tighter gun laws and the right saying there's a constitutional right to own and bear arms. I don't know where the legislative debate is going to end because it does seem circular and it does seem to happen after every mass shooting.
2: We have more than one mass shooting a day in this country, according to statistics. Just think about that. I mean, that is so profoundly shocking and just so terrible. I almost can't deal with it. We just had another one in Chesapeake, Virginia, in a Walmart where an employee of the store took a gun and shot and killed six people. So this is a crisis. It's been a crisis for a long time. Any proposed legislation that would limit access to weapons isn't going to go anywhere. Republicans are about to take control of the House of Representatives. And so this is really a societal problem, a societal crisis for which there is no legislative solution. And I think we're seeing a lot of soul searching in this country on both sides, frankly. Nobody wants this. It's not like people who own guns want mass shootings. In the particular case of the LGBTQ nightclub in Colorado, the real story of that event was the military veteran who was there with his family and jumped into action, subdued the shooter. He and a drag queen with her stilettos between the drag queen and the military vet took the shooter down, beat him up, the police were there within a matter of minutes. So the fact that, quote, only five people died is actually miraculous. This could easily have been another Pulse nightclub massacre with dozens killed. And so looked at from that perspective, we can actually be grateful that, quote, only five people died.
0: More than 600 mass shootings in 2022 alone here in the United States. Not a week has gone by without a mass shooting. It is a incredibly difficult issue for Americans to be able to sort out.
1: Yes, it is. Well, let's look at the latest in U.S. politics where U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed Special Counsel Jack Smith to head up investigations involving former President Donald Trump. Smith's appointment came three days after Trump launched his third run for the White House. The Supreme Court ruled that the House Ways and Means Committee can obtain copies of former President Trump's tax returns. So what does this all mean at this point? It hasn't
0: been a very good week for Donald Trump as far as his legal issues are concerned. Shut down at the Supreme Court regarding his taxes. The special counsel being appointed. There are other issues going on on local levels involving Trump. As far as the appointment of the special counsel, there's a split among the political analysts and watchers here in Washington as to whether the appointment of Jack Smith will lead to a speedy indictment of the ex-president or is a stalling tactic to impede prosecuting Trump. The attorney general said the special counsel is needed because both Trump and Biden have said that they intend to seek the presidency in 2024. So appointing a special counsel would be a shield against arguments. This is a political witch hunt, which will not fly with Trump supporters at all. They will never see these investigations as anything but a political witch hunt.
2: So let me add, the special counsel is is quite interesting, actually. I mean, the intent there was to avoid politicization, to try to insulate Attorney General Merrick Garland from these investigations into both the documents that Donald Trump kept at Mar-a-Lago at his estate, government documents, some of them classified, and also the investigation to Trump's role in the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Honestly, I think there's no way to avoid a politicization of both of these issues, given that... Trump is running for election and Joe Biden says he intends to run. The problem with the Jack Smith role here is that he's got two main charges. One is the documents that Trump kept at Mar-a-Lago. The second is January 6th. The documents issue, I think, is pretty cut and dry. What Trump did was illegal to keep those documents. His role on January 6th is much more complicated. That investigation could drag on for years. So if the whole thing is tied up in one bundle, we may not get any resolution for quite some time.
1: Yes. And just to give a little bit of background for our audience on Jack Smith, he most recently worked at the International Criminal Court at The Hague in the Netherlands investigating and prosecuting war crimes. The DOJ said Smith conducted sensitive investigations of foreign government officials and militia members on charges related to war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide.
0: It shows he's got experience in taking on top government officials as far as war crimes are concerned and dealing with leaders of various different political parties and countries.
1: So let's just quickly move on. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who is stepping down as Speaker and leaves quite a legacy outside of being the first woman elected as Speaker of the House. Linda, what else would you say will be her legacy?
2: Well, not only was she the first woman to serve as Speaker of the House, she was, for any speaker, just incredibly effective. Consider the fact that she has, for the past couple of years, ruled with a very, very narrow majority. On any given vote, she could only lose a few votes. And she has a very fractious caucus. She's got the so-called squad, which are liberal, typically younger women, typically women of color, who are outspoken in their very progressive views. And she's had to kind of mother them in some ways, keep them in line, keep the caucus in line. Nancy Pelosi is frankly a legend as a speaker for either party, and I'm not speaking in a partisan way, I'm just speaking just as a fact. Not only does she know how to get to every single member, she knows every district, she's a fantastic fundraiser. Money is the mother's milk of politics. And if you can help a member raise money, they owe you. And she knows how to get members to owe her. And then she knows how to call in those chits. So she will be missed terribly in leadership. She's not stepping down from her role as a member of Congress representing a district in San Francisco. I can bet that she will be, even as a backbencher, she will be called upon by this new, younger leadership for advice and counsel and just any sort of assistance they can provide behind the scenes. We also have to mention that she, frankly, came as no surprise that she took this step, not only because she sees the need for younger leadership to step up, but also because of the situation with her husband, who was badly beaten recently during a break-in into their home in San Francisco. She wants to spend, obviously, more time with her husband, help him with his recovery. So there were many reasons for her to step back and become slightly less involved in Washington politics.
0: To what Linda said, her mastery of being able to lead the Democrats as a majority, as well as a minority, but as a majority party in the House of Representatives, her ability to take these very thin margins of a majority, at times five votes, eight votes, where, where, as Linda said, any group of congressmen, congresswomen who got together could thwart her efforts to get any kind of legislation passed. That never happened under Nancy Pelosi. If there were problems, she would wait it out and make sure that Everybody got what they needed as far as legislation is concerned so that she can get a majority of the votes in the House of Representatives. And to be able to see how she worked over the last two years with these thin majorities, it's going to be an interesting comparison to the next couple of years as Republicans have a thin majority in the House of Representatives, almost as thin and maybe thinner than the Democrats had in the last two years. And how the presumptive speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, will lead his caucus in which many of them are calling for the impeachment of Joe Biden on day one in January. So the leadership qualities that Nancy Pelosi had and the political acumen that she displayed on a constant basis is going to be that comparison point between what has happened in the last two years and what might happen in the next two years.
2: I think it's also worth printing out that Kevin McCarthy, who's the current Republican leader in the House, he doesn't have the votes yet to become speaker. A fifth member of the House has come out against him. He says he's a firm no member of Congress from South Carolina. So McCarthy's first test in becoming speaker is to actually win the speakership in the first place. I'm not certain he gets there.
0: One other thing about Nancy Pelosi is she is the icon for nearly every Democratic Party woman who is in politics and elected to public office. She is their guiding light, their hero. She's the first. As a father of two daughters, I can appreciate how Nancy Pelosi is a role model for women who want to get into politics, whether they're Republicans or Democrats.
1: So it's time now to find out what is weighing on the minds of our panelists this week. Linda, what is weighing on your mind?
2: So I've been watching the return of Bob Iger to the leadership of Disney with great interest. I actually met him a few weeks ago. I sound like I'm constantly at parties, which I'm really not. But I did meet Bob Iger, fascinating man. He was very likable. I mean, you think of a major... CEO as kind of this figure off in the distance who may be in some ways kind of a tyrant. But he was easy to talk to and honestly, very self-confident without being obnoxious. Going forward with Disney, where Bob Iger was CEO for, I think, a dozen years, his groomed successor, Bob Chapek has utterly failed. The board lost confidence in him, asked him to leave called Iger, got him back in, and this is a test for Iger to see if he can right the ship. And also, he needs to vindicate himself because he was the one who designated Chapek as his successor, and that has utterly failed. So as a student of leadership, looking at both Nancy Pelosi and world leaders and now Bob Iger, I find the whole situation very interesting.
0: Thank you. And Steve? What's weighing on my mind this week is guns. I don't own a gun. I don't plan on owning a gun. I've shot a gun just twice. I don't begrudge Americans for owning a gun, but I'm fearful about the incredible number of guns that are owned in the United States, along with the rising tide of mental illness and rising levels of hatred of the other, the different, the unknown the racial divide and homophobia that pits American versus American without stopping to understand all of the similarities that we have and that we share as Americans, and the appreciation of the differences and how all of our differences make us a stronger group of people, a stronger country. And waking up this morning and hearing about The mass shooting in Virginia at a department store the day before Thanksgiving, it's just sickening me and makes me really worry about where this society is
1: going. And we will close on those thoughts. My thanks to our panelists, Christian Science Monitor, Washington Bureau Chief, Linda Feldman, and VOA Executive Producer, Steve Reddish. I'm Kim Lewis, and thanks for joining us for Issues in the News.